Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Outreach. That's Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up sales time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. It's a great product. The company is filled with amazing people. And I can tell you firsthand, Outreach will make your sales org better. Do yourself a favor and check them out today. The Sales Leadership Podcast is also brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Xvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will change careers in, in, in your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. We appreciate each of our listeners and are committed to introducing you to the most innovative, most successful sales leaders in the world. If you like what you hear, please keep those reviews coming on your favorite podcast sites. Your reviews make it easier for more people to find this show and be introduced to these sales success blueprints. Now... Get ready for some sales insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we are joined by, and let's see if I can get this right, Tiago Safredi. But he is so good, he has established himself as just one name status. So we're going to call him Tiago. He's the SVP of Global Sales and Customer Success at Huddle, where more than 160,000 teams, including the very best teams in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance. Huddle Huddle builds powerful and flexible tools for video analysis, and they're on a mission to help teams and athletes be the best version of themselves, no matter the level that they're at. Tiago leads all all global customer-facing teams, and under his leadership, Huddle's grown remarkably fast worldwide. Now, I'm really selfish. I'm having a huddle showcase here, not just because of the awesome success story. I am a huge fan of the product. I've used it for years as a sports coach, and I've used it for years as a dad of an athlete. I'm super excited to have Tiago join us today, and I want to learn more about his approach of building a high-performing team. Tiago, my man, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Always awesome to meet a happy client, sir. Oh, count me as one. I, I, for years, I, I've watched your company uh, spring onto the scene for competitive uh, teams and then just dominate and get more and more cool, cool features. And if you guys have changed the way that athletic teams run their teams, without a doubt. And that's our goal. And that's why, as you, as you mentioned, we're on a mission to help teams and athletes win. And uh, another point for you is that our vision is if you want to capture and bring value to every moment in sports, doesn't matter the level. Okay. 
So let's let's roll, man. I I'm really excited to have you here. I, I, for people that may not know Huddle, they may not be freaky like sports guy like me. Can you introduce to all of our listeners who Huddle is and what you guys do, and and then we'll get started from there. Yeah, absolutely. So the company started back in uh, 2006 in uh, Nebraska, um, in, uh, at UNL, so the University of Nebraska based there in Lincoln. And our co-founder started working first and foremost uh, with the American football team um, there at the university. Um, at first, they really went after mostly the professional uh, arena tied to uh, football and then expanded into the high school space where things really took off. From then on, after showing ourselves as the top-notch uh, provider for analysis solution in uh, the American high school market, we started expanding across over 30 sports at every single level uh, across the entire world. So uh, there's a good chance, you know, listeners, if you, if you have a top team that you root for, they're probably uh, working with Huddle uh, in one way or another. That is awesome. And I think that you've been a humble brag on this one. I, I'm telling you, man, there is not a team, at least in the sports that I've been coaching, that doesn't refer to your stuff, use your stuff. Shoot, it was required for my high school. My son is a high school quarterback. If they didn't do their huddle work, they were, you know, on the shit list for the coach. So, yeah, well, that's a big, big part of our culture, though, is we'd rather have our customers be the ones uh, bragging for us, right, than, than us bragging about ourselves. So, well, uh, it's part of the culture that we built. It's a cool company, cool product. But let's get into you. I love your story. You have a really cool story. You have a unique story, I think. I'd love to learn how you share a little bit about your story. How how'd you get into sales and ultimately how did that get you to huddle? Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, I think also for your listeners to get to know a little bit about me. So I, I came to the U.S. from Brazil when I was nine yeah. years old. It's a big part of, of who I am. Major sacrifice by my parents, um, obviously. Um, through that, I was very lucky to be able to attend uh, a top university here uh, in the U.S., get a scholarship through uh, soccer, which has been a big part of my life. Um, and there's a reason why I'm telling you all this, and you'll see why. No, I think this is awesome, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in terms of sales, my, my, my father was a, a salesman. So uh, he sold big machinery to major uh, corporations like Nestle, et cetera. And he represented uh, an American company in Brazil. Um, so for me, I started selling pretty early. I uh, sold knives at Cutco. Um, really? Like many, many folks um, out there that I, that I come to find. Um, and eventually, through somebody I sold knives to, I uh, actually uh, was able to have this person sponsor me to get my health and uh, life insurance license. So I started selling that, uh, which still to this day was the most humbling experience I've ever had. So when you're in person, in the heat, walking around, going from business to business, some people shutting, slamming their doors in your face, uh, some actually offering you a, a cup of water. Uh, it, it takes a lot of guts to do that. Um, and from then on, when you're in the world that we are in, the world of SaaS, uh, it's a lot easier, actually, in, in, in many ways. Right. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's one of the things that I always go back to. It'll never be as hard as it was back then. Um, but my journey in SaaS, I was extremely blessed uh, um, to actually have had the opportunity to meet the CMO at the time of a company called Responses. Uh, his name's Scott Ulrich. He's now the COO at DocuSign. Um, and sports has always had a part of, of me in, in, in one way or another, uh, where I was on a plane to go and play UCLA, and I just happened to sit next to this random man, which was Scott Orich. And from the end of that one-hour conversation, right, from uh, the Bay Area down to, to L.A., 
I was lucky enough to be offered a, a job. Wow. So, which I took on uh, very, very quickly. And you'd be amazed at how many people Scott Orch has found in that way. There's many other folks that I could name that he's met at coffee shops or random other places. This guy's the ultimate uh, recruiter. Uh, but from then on, I've had every single sales role that you can imagine from being a business analyst on the sales side to now leading all customer facing um, at, at Huddle, um, where right now we have over 500 uh, individuals in uh, 20 plus countries, which is pretty complex. That's amazing. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm extremely blessed where I now get to marry two of my uh, major passions in life, which is SaaS and then um, sports. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about, about my, my journey. I love it. So that I'm really glad you shared that. I mean, one of the things that you've done is you kind of under your leadership, you've helped fuel some of that global growth that you've had as well. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I like your story because you're right. It is true. I, I remember when Huddle was just like emerging and it was this cool thing. And like the, the coaches that were really serious used it, but then it became like, it was a non-negotiable. And then you said, well, where else do we take it? I want to, I want to talk a little bit about today about how you are the architect of that kind of growth. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation for all these sales leaders that are listening to us today. So, so let's start with that. I mean, you have had amazing growth, Tiago. I mean, it's crazy to see the growth. I mean, it has to be fun to see the, that kind of growth happening. What do you attribute to fueling that growth as a sales leader? As you look back and say, okay, we've done a lot of good things, but now we got to even do more things. How do I fuel that growth? What, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll break it down in, into a couple of areas. So now, now uh, I'll start with the people aspect. So um, I think number one is you have to be able to hire people that are better than you. So what I, what I mean by that, I mean that literally. If you're not bringing in somebody uh, into your core team that's going to level up uh, the broader organization, they're probably not worth uh, bringing in. And what I've found in my experience is there are certain leaders that are scared to do that. Is this person going to go and, and take over my job, right? Or, or am I, does that make me more replaceable? And uh, one of the mottos that, that, that I live by within my organization together with my uh, boss, COO, Matt Mueller, is it's going to be a great day when people are asking, what does Tiago even do? Like, why yeah. is he even here? And same goes for my boss. Like, what does Matt even do? Why, why do we need him? Right. And that's really how we the mentality that that I personally go into when I when I'm hiring out um, our team. So the second goes, you have to get buy in into the mission hey, and vision. Can what? we push pause for a second? Tiago? Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to stop on number one, because I think number one is awesome. I'm going to I'm sorry, man. I'm going to do this to you throughout the whole show. Not a problem. I'm, I'm going to pause and we're going to we're going to start going to drill down a little bit if we can. Yeah, I, I love this idea of hire better than you. So it's not just hire good people, which I hear a lot. I hear that all the time, hire good people. No, hire better than you. And the first thing I wrote down when you said that was I had a question mark I want to ask you about, is that scary? And then you addressed it, that some leaders are scared of doing that. You know, so I'm guessing you probably are involved in a lot of the hiring decisions, but yep. you probably aren't doing all of the vetting and things like that. And so you've got a team of leaders. If you got if you got 350 members of your sales team, you've probably got somewhere between 30 and 40 other leaders that are doing stuff. How do you create a group of leaders that is not afraid of finding people that are better than them? Yeah, you lead by example. That's how you do it. So in your messaging to them, even when you're bringing them in, right, you explain to them, I'm bringing you in because you're better than me in this area. right? And I expect you to take full ownership. What I've found is when you have that sort of mentality and you 
just breed that into your leaders, it just leads on down to the managers and then to the, to the direct line of reports. But it does, a lot of this does start at the top is what I'll find. And again, my boss started there too. He came to me saying, I have a missing area of expertise. This is why I'm bringing you in, right? So I've, I've also learned from him and, and his good example as well. So I like that. I, I got to think that from a culture perspective, to have that kind of confidence that you're not afraid of having people be better than you, that's got to build a really interesting, like positive culture, I would guess. Absolutely. And it, and it started earlier, though. So I'll give you an example. When, when, okay. when I was at uh, Stanford men's soccer, I was not the best player at okay. all. But I was really good at rallying the team. I was the person people went to and all that. So the coach made me a captain right in the future. But I was not the best player by any means. Um, and so that, that's something that sort of been a, a part of me. And I try to instill in the rest of the team um, as well. So, if I, so we have a, we have thousands of sales leaders listening to this show around the world, and and I always like to make things be actionable, and I like this a lot. I think this this is way better than just hire good people. This is hire people that are better than you. Is there any, any like pointers you give people on how you build that culture, or things that you look for, or maybe even the last thing I would ask is, is there something that you're on the lookout for, like maybe to see when people might be not bringing in people that are better than them? Is there any kind of tips around any of those things that you can give our listeners? Yeah. So I'd say like first when you're, when you're going out and looking is you have to first start looking at yourself, right? So what, what am I really great at and mm. where do I need some work? That's and I awesome. even recommend asking folks right around you, what, what am I missing right within my organization? What do you see the holes are start there, but also even look at yourself, right? Cause it's, it's good to start there too. Then from then on you build uh, who you're looking for. Right? Not, not just the role sheet that you're going to use to go out and, and, and get people to, to apply, but like, what are you, what are you looking for? And like the one example that I'll show you is as we were growing, uh, globally with so many, 20 different countries, so many different cultures, I was looking for a, a leader that had a lot of experiences tied to the global front. So ah, that has okay. lived in multiple uh, countries, that has worked in multiple countries, that is multilingual, three plus languages, um, for example. Um, and that was a very unique set that I, that I needed. Um, and that was just one example um, of that that I could share with the, with the listeners. That's awesome. That's a really good one. So thank you for being willing to let me push pause. Because I yeah. think that that adds a lot to it. So let's move on to number two. So number one was higher, better than you. What was two? Yeah. So the, the second would be you need to get buy-in um, on the mission and vision. So especially nowadays, what you'll find in, in the new workforce that, that's coming coming through, um, and we do hire a lot of people, right? And we and we breed them through through our uh, culture is they have to have a purpose, or they may come into work and get by, but you won't get the best out of them. So it's about getting people to buy in on the mission and vision and making sure that you're focusing on each and every single individual because everyone is driven differently. But the goal here is can you get each individual on your team performing at their peak? All right. So I like this. You're talking about one of my favorite topics. I, I've got someone that I'm interviewing in a couple of weeks only around creating mission mentality on a sales team. So yeah. I think this is a big deal. Um, and, and you already mentioned that at Stanford, you were, uh, selected to be team captain 
probably because of your ability to get people to see the mission and the vision of the team, not just because you scored the most goals, though I'm sure you did really well with that too. Um, how do you build mission mentality? I think it's a big deal. I, I Right now it's a topic I'm thinking about a lot, Tiago, so I was really happy to hear you start talking about it. Can you share a little bit about, A, why mission matters and how do you build a mission mentality? Yeah, so first off, I'd say that this starts off with our co-founders, um, where what I talked about our mission is we help teams and athletes win, and then our, our vision is capture and bring value to every moment in sports. That's a really cool mission and vision to buy into. Um, so it, it does start there, right? Yeah. And from our perspective is one of our goals, like, for example, you as a customer, after you meet with us, we hope that you're going to come out of that conversation and thinking, wow, like these people help me see my world differently than I did before I spoke to them. And that's one of the goals that we have. I love uh, that. On the, on our, on our, on our team, um, how you go about building that. There are many different ways, uh, to put it bluntly, we are actually undergoing an exercise right now to redo a lot of this internally. Uh, because we feel like it's something that should be challenged consistently. Just because you have a mission and vision today at this moment doesn't mean it doesn't have, it doesn't change tomorrow. Um, and I'm working personally, and it's one of my points that I have for all executives out there is I personally have been working with an executive coach and brought in an executive coach to work with the rest of our team to also help us build this mission and vision for the revenue team. Um, so there are various processes that you can undergo that, are tied to the values that you have, and then how do you go and, and put this into bite-sized chunks that mm-hmm. everyone can buy um, into, uh, which I'm, I'm waiting for it. Then we can get into more of my, my uh, leader, sales leadership print yeah. that we've, uh, I don't know if you want me to. No, we're going to get there, and I want to have plenty of right. time for that because I like it, but I'm taking cool. notes because I, Tiago, I like what you're doing. You have a really refreshing look. You're not regurgitating stuff that a lot of people have, and what I found is the, the best uh, most successful sales teams generally have some innovative thinking uh, from their sales leader. And that's why our show has done pretty well is we only get guys like you people I should say guys, men and women like you on the show that are innovative. And so I like this because your vision and your mission is coming through individually tailoring. And what I wrote down was you want to help your customers see the world differently than they did before you spoke with them. I'm guessing that part of your leadership blueprint is you want the, the reps on your team, the members of your team, to see the world a little differently before you led them. Absolutely. I'll, I'll change that a little bit, though, okay. because my, my goal isn't that I'm the face of everything. Right. My goal is that the leaders closest to them are the face of that. And I think that's really Got transformed it. our ability to be to consistently, one, promote from within, but build a really high-achieving culture is that – that is, it isn't about me being who they see as that, as that leader that does that, but it's the people they interact with, even when they look at their peers, right? That's, that's the the goal that everyone needs to buy into. So when I say you, I should, I should apologize. I mean, the huddle leadership team, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. One of the, one of, one of the great laws of leadership, I was taught by my mentor and I love repeating it. You, You may or may not have heard this before, but I love it. Leaders on pedestals make easy targets. And one of the biggest mistakes leaders do is they put themselves up on the pedestal and all people want to do is freaking knock them off, man. Yep. And so stay off that damn pedestal at all costs, right? Agreed. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what are some benefits that getting this mission does for you? So you shared a little bit about how you do it. What are some benefits that you see when you have mission mentality rather than just coming to work? Yeah. So 
people just give more of themselves. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's the, the simplest way to put it. When they speak to customers, they're bought in. They believe in what they're saying. It's not just something that we put together uh, within our RevOps team and our Rev Enablement team on the best ways to pitch to pitch huddle. They really believe it. They feel it. They see it. Um, and even, as you mentioned, mentors, I, I was brought up in an organization that did this better than anywhere else I've ever been, uh, which was responses. And we felt that, right? Like when we sold, we really felt like we were making our customers' lives better. Um, so I think by making sure everyone buys into that, it leads and breeds through your conversations, which inevitably leads to better results. Yeah, I, I, I love this. And I, like I said, I, I'd be willing to dedicate a whole show to this. I'm going to do that. I want to get to your blueprint, though. Um, I'm going to just dedicate a show. Here, here's one of my, my Jepsonisms. I have this belief. Ted, I want to get your take on this because as I listen to you, you're, you're reminding me of this. I think things like motivation or optimism, and I'm going to add mission, are contagious. Belief is contagious. I love how you said it. You believe you're already, you know, when a rep believes in what they do, makes makes something better for who they're talking to, the job gets way easier. But I also think negativity or apathy, not caring, or just going, I think that's contagious too. Mm-hmm. And so as leaders, I think we've got to be really careful with what are we infecting. And infecting always has a negative term, but what are we like pl- planting inside of our team? Because whatever it is, it's going to be contagious, right? Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And that, and that's something that we, we try to live by um, as well. But um, to your point on that, I, I, I would actually argue that I'm a bit more of a pessimist, though. All right. In ways. Tell so, me. Hit uh, me with it. I want to yeah. know. Let's so it, hear it. it. Let's hear it, man. But again, there's two different ways you have to act, right? When you're analyzing um, how we're doing, how we're trending, right? I prefer at times to be a pessimist and look at things from an analytical standpoint. And what is the worst case? And then I'm an optimist when I'm looking at what, what's that, what's that best case, but how we interact with our teams, right? You're, you're right. It has to be, we have to keep stretching them. Yeah. Um, and there are certain goals that we do every year in terms of where we're trying to go, uh, as a, as a, as an organization. And we really set those goals high, um, to lead people on that journey, uh, with us. Yeah, I wouldn't say you're a pessimist. I'd say you're a person that tries to plan for and account for the worst so you can therefore expect the best. You're that's probably I, right. Yeah, yep. that's what I would say. But Okay, so that was one of two. So you got hire better and get buy-in and mission. Anything else before we get to your blueprint? Yep, so I got three other areas that I'll, that I'll let's, let's on hit on real quick. Yeah. So the, the third is you got to learn to give ownership to your direct reports and all the way down, which will lead to my, my blueprint um, as well. But – as you scale, there's no way you can have your eyes on everything, right? You have to have your people be running um, their teams. The fourth is, you'll hear from everyone, but set clear, extremely measurable goals, and then also how can individuals reach those goals? So something that we've done is we've created two things. It's called completes and days in the life. So complete sales manager, complete sales reps, then days in the life. And that goes in details in priority level. What do you do? Um, in your role. And then it gives you blueprints of things that you should be doing daily, weekly, etc. So again, very honed in on giving you the ability as uh, someone that's just joined the team to understand what does it take to be successful. And then the, the last is just have a growth mindset. Uh, there are a lot of egos in our profession, right? Because it's hard to sit up there and take the bullet sometimes when, when things don't go well. But one thing that we always say is even when we go through major transformation conversations is leave the ego at the door 
We need to consistently iterate and let's all be willing to fail and fail together. Uh, so that would be the, the major Those five drivers. All right. So I, I love them all. This is really cool. I love how well thought out you are. This is that pessimistic approach so you can have an optimistic outcome coming through, Diago. Um, <laughs> what I think was insightful was this, uh, this importance of giving ownership and their understanding that you will not scale unless you can do that. You cannot scale. And that's yeah. what I would say. You cannot scale unless you're willing to give up control and, and, and trust. So any pointers or tips on how to, because, I mean, you're not saying just be absent and say, do your thing and cross your fingers. That's not what you're saying. So is there any tips on how you can give up control in a way that still fuels the things you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first is you need to allow your people to fail as well, right, on that. So and you need to decide where am I going to allow my people to fail? Because there's certain areas you just cannot fail, in, right? But it might be a one-off deal, right? That even though you have a, a counter to it and you would do it differently, you let them go through um, in their own way. And that's at, at every uh, level. It doesn't matter if you're an SCP or, or you're a sales manager dealing with a rep. But I think it, it starts there. You have to be willing to let them fail. And, but the other is having the right set of controls so you know what's going on at least. Um, and, and that's through your weekly pipeline reviews, your, your team calls, um, just to ensure you're aware of what's happening so you're not too distant, uh, but keep giving that ownership so people can make decisions where it matters most. So if they have to wait for you, for your availability to be able to make certain decisions, all you're going to do is slow down your growth. I love it. This is really good. Um, I think you've given some great some great color, and, and we've taken a good chunk of time, and I want to make sure we get into your leadership blueprint. When we get done with that, if I want to, I might, I'm going to reserve the right to come back, but I'm really, I'm just as excited to learn about your leadership blueprint. So let's jump to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I will take the fact that I, that I put this together, this mindset, um, of our blueprint that we all abide by within the revenue organization, but it was obviously influenced by many people that I've worked with, um, in the past and the team that I currently uh, lead today, but we call it this concept of taco. Uh, and it's taco because making me hungry, taco, man. You're making me it, hungry. It is that, but it's easy to understand too, right? And you're yeah. going to remember that. Yeah. Uh, and and what taco stands for is trust, accountability, coaching, uh, and ownership. So trust. Hold on, let me write it down. Trust, accountability, accountability, coaching, and what? Ownership. Ownership. All right, let's get into it, man. Cool. So let's start with with trust, and this this is pretty simple. So um, so trust is you need to trust in us, your leaders, uh, that we have set you up for success. You have to trust that we have the best intentions in mind as an, as an organization, and you need to trust one another. So start there. All right, so we're going to push pause. Now I'm going to start pushing pause all the time. Yeah, all okay. good. So trust is, one I think, one of the most important topics of leadership. I think it's, it's one of the most important part, things of sales. I think trust is the currency of relationships. It's what we trade on. Um, and, and we have to be developing trust always. It's not something that we either have or don't have. It's always in flux. But I also think if you got to ask someone for trust, you're probably screwed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so how do you develop trust with sales teams when they feel like, man, Tiago just wants me to hit a number. The only reason I'm here is for me to hit a number. And if I don't hit that number, my ass is gone. Right. How, how do we build trust? Yeah. We just, you just have to build the, mindset and the culture that everyone feels like they're in it together, right? So your personal uh, success or failure 
is also my personal success or failure. And if you have that level of empathy and in your engagement with broader team, you act that way. And I'll go even far as saying it's not just about when you stand in front of the team and you, you pitch this, this grand vision. It's in the day-to-day stuff too. If you go around and say hi to every single person on your team and see how they're doing, do you do that on a daily basis? Or if you're remote, right, et cetera, are you taking the time to care about people uh, individually? So it's, it's something that you build as in a relationship, and that goes for all leaders. Are you only talking about work-related stuff? Hmm. That's the case. Building trust is going to be hard. You have to care about the entire person, the entire uh, uh, individual, and focus on building on those. So trust is really, it's really about that. But one thing that I, that I do ask for, though, Rob, and it's something that I even, that I really live by, is I start off first and foremost by trusting. And have I, have I been hurt by doing that in the past? Absolutely. I both, both personally and professionally. But I do make the choice to think that uh, the folks have good intentions, right? Um, and, and they want all of us to, to succeed. I love that. I trust first. You're just a trust. I mean, you get, you trust until you have a reason not to is what exactly. you're saying. Yeah. I like that. And so that helps build a culture of we work together, we trust each other. And, and I like that. It's yeah. good. And again, I just want to reiterate the, the fact that it does start with just simple interactions, right? Uh, with, with all the individuals on your team as much as you can and, and breeding that across your leaders. Are you checking in on people? Are you just going around and saying hi and seeing how they're doing? Um, it, it, that's a really important component of that trust uh, piece. Okay. I love it. We, uh, I may come back to it, but let's, let's get into the rest. Let's talk a little bit about accountability. Yeah. So accountability is simple. So you know what you have to do to be successful. We've even helped you understand that by detailing that out um, for you. So the, what the message here is you hold yourself accountable, and then you also hold those around you accountable as well. Uh, go ahead. No, I'm, I, you're picking all my favorite words right now, man. And like, yeah, this, I kind of thought we would have a good conversation for our listeners. This is the first time you and me have really talked shop. So I I, I like this. I thought I have a really cool, like graphic. It's a comic of the word accountability. So it spells it out. A C C O U N T all the way to, to Y. And, the you is knocked over, okay? And then there's footsteps running away from it. And it means everybody likes accountability until it's applied to you, okay? And so- I love how, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one. I'll, no, I'm going to send it to you. you going to send that to me. I'll send you it to you. You're going to send that yeah. to me. I love that. I, I use that. it. When I speak a lot, and, and I'm doing a lot of sales kickoffs right now, and I, and I talk about the difference between accountability and empowerment. And, um, and, and, and so I, I, I think accountability is super important and everybody thinks we've got to have accountability, but they always get scared when it's applied to them, to the you. Okay. Any thoughts around how accountability becomes a positive part of your culture to the rep level for you as a leader and for the people that you report to, of course, it's important, but for the individual, sometimes it's scary. How do we have accountability, not be scary? That is a great question. I think if I had the full answer to that, I don't, I don't think any of us would really have our jobs potentially, right? Uh, <laughs> that's where, where it really comes down to to make sure that you can be successful is everyone yeah. holding themselves um, uh, accountable. Um, but I, I think it, it comes down to the simple things. Um, and it's when people are doing the right things, are you letting them know that they're doing the right things? Because if you start like thinking uh, from it in that, in that perspective, you are really focusing on the good behaviors, 
right, which are directly tied to accountability. If you look at it just as in the word, you're right. It can be, it can be scary. But if you look at, hey, like you can break things down to here are your top priorities in your role. And then here's what a successful day could look like. Here's what a successful result can look like. And as people are going through that, you should reiterate like, wow, that's, you did really well here. Here are other areas that you have to, to work on. Um, and then tie that back to, to accountability. But also the accountability aspect and why we put hold others accountable as well to the same standards that we've all set is because it is a team thing. So when you make it more about a team, a team aspect, hmm. there, there's less just about me on there. And it's about the place that you hold within your broader team. Um, as well. So it's not just you. Again, it's the team. That's a, I think that's good. I, I found that when people have that buy-in that you talked about and that mission mentality, if, you, if you're smart and if, you, and if you're doing the job that you're describing and it sounds like you're doing, you can align um, the mission and the buy-in to the requirements that have to be done. So accountability feels more like they're being empowered for what their portion is to get that job done rather than just do this or else. Because I, You're absolutely right. That is, I, per, that's a perfect way of putting it. I, I find Tiago that too often we just focus on, you know, I call them spreadsheet leaders. You know, spreadsheet leadership. I mean, you know a little bit about our, our company, but I, I think spreadsheet leadership has led to this focus on accountability in a negative way, rather than coaching people in a way that they say, "I want to do this for this," and then it's a totally different situation. So absolutely, you just led me to the next component. Let's do it, baby. Let's get there. Let's get there. And that's where it goes. And and when we talk about, from a blueprint perspective, the coaching aspect, it's interesting because we're not not talking about here's the way that we're going to coach. No, no, no. We're really focused on everyone wants to be coached differently. That's the the reality. We have assets and things built up that can help our managers coach folks. But ultimately, it's about what drives that individual. But on, on our aspect, too, it's you need to demand to be coached. So it's a two-way street, both at your manager level, but also in the individual contributor, for example, or my direct reports. If I'm not coaching you the right way, right? If I'm not giving you enough, you need to tell me, you need to demand it because coaching is a key pillar in our management philosophy at Huddle. So that's what we're really iterating on um, there, which again, should lead to easier accountability and easier trust. So I got a good question for you now because I, I love you lit up when we talked about coaching. This is another kindred spirit. I, yeah. I think, I think coaching is the next frontier for sales. We've had so much focus on enablement of salespeople and sales stack technologies and the huddle way of sales or every whatever company though. Cause we have, you have 350 reps. You don't want 350 ways that people sell your product to coaches. Fair to say. Very fair to say. Yeah. Here's what I'm finding. I'm working with some of the world's biggest companies. I was on site with a company that has 8,000 reps just last week. Okay. Wow. And for that, they have about 850 leaders. And I asked them a question. First question was, do you have a way that there's 8,000 people that are selling one way? They told me yes. So what are you doing to make sure that you don't have 850 ways that your, that your reps are developed and coached? And they looked at me like, that's a good question. And we don't have an answer for that. So I'm going to ask you that same question. What do you do if, if coaching is one of your blueprint and your pillars, how do we make sure your 35 to 40 leaders are coaching the huddle way so you know that we are developing people in a way that is the way you, that is, is in line with the mission of huddle? Is there a way you can do that? There is, and I'd say that it is a constant battle. 
Okay, right? good. Things are constantly changing. So let me interrupt you before you answer, because I think this is a big answer for all of our listeners. I think this is something that organizations that are trying to scale all have to figure out. And people are, it's like the newest thing that people are going to. And so I'm really interested in your answer because you've, you've done a good job scaling. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it goes back to, we've built these documents, right? And I'll go back to these called the completes and days in the life, but it, it talks about what the key roles should be. For example, a sales manager. And the number one is to develop uh, their people. And we have a philosophy that we've built out internally to coach uh, folks, which focuses on two key areas. We want to make people better uh, versions of themselves and then both in, the, in their personal life. And then there's a second, how can we make them the best performer at Huddle that they, that they uh, can be? But I'd say that this is a... I love that second one too. How do I make you the number one person at Huddle? We got 350 people all on that quest to get there. That's awesome. Yeah, but I'll even go further though. So I, it isn't just tied to being the best at Huddle. It's the best version of yourself that you can be. Okay. Um, so while there is competition, right, in the revenue org, we know that that's pretty inherent. It's the people we hire, right? And we know that yeah. and look for that and where we're going. But in, in making sure that people are coaching the same way, we have uh, methodologies uh, built out that go and talk about how they should go about their one-on-ones, right? And what, and what, what things are you, are you focused on across these areas? How do they align? Uh, when we do performance check-ins, for example, they tie to our core values to make sure that we're looking through our core values when we're doing performance check-ins at every level, both upward and downward. Um, so if you build that right methodology in that, you can ensure that you are coaching for the right things and working uh, in the right areas. I like it. I think that's awesome. But so you're, you're... We are still working on it, though, Rob. This is like something to consistently iterating on. Right, well, that, that's why I love it though, Tiago, because you are very aware that for those 35 or so leaders that you have, you need to be helping them with their coaching skills just as much as those leaders are helping your reps with their sales skills, as I'm interpreting it. Absolutely. And also they're helping me change how I'm looking at this too, by right? my direct reports and broader, broader huddle. We have, we have made changes based on feedback from people in the past. And you even brought up a really good point on how uh, the training portion should tie more closely to core values, et cetera. And when I talked about these complete reps or complete sales managers documents, they have like the five key areas that, that you focus on. And we're tying all our training to those areas. So again, it gets reiterated in their brain. These are the things that matter uh, in my role. Um, so it's a really good point that you made there, which I think is something we're trying to do right now, literally. Uh, well I don't know if you know Jim Dickey of CSO Insights. He's a good friend. He's an advisor to me. And he does this research. And he's found that it's very few companies actually have, have structure like you've talked about. But everyone talks about coaching. Everybody says, yeah, we're going to coach our people. But I see two things happening. I want to get your take on this before we get to ownership, and then we'll be out of time. It's crazy how fast the time went. Thank yeah. you, by the way, Tiago. Oh, my Number one, some, some people think that coaching is, is trying to fix things that are bad and only underperformers get coaching and, and it's going from bad to acceptable. My point of view is coaching is going from current state to future state. We're just trying to take you to whoever's next, whoever you are, wherever you are. Any thoughts on that? You're shaking your head. I love it. So, uh, I, yes, absolutely. And, and again, I'll go back to this. It's 
you want to build a foundation where people can be the best versions of themselves. Yes. And at times people are going to fall below that threshold that you have. Right. And, and quite frankly, that's a mistake on you as well. It's on you and the company. And then also the individual in certain instance, but you brought this individual to your organization, right? Yep. You have to consistently coach across the board on how can I get different people to be the best versions of themselves. I will say something that I do push is that uh, I do believe in people making sure they're spending enough time with top performers as well, because usually they're, they're the yes. ones that get left out. So it's something that we are consistently bringing up. So while I'm looking to develop everyone, I almost argue you should spend the most time with your, with your top performers to make sure that they're producing more and more uh, because those are the people, those are your future leaders. They're going to move on to, to different roles. So don't forget those. And too often they are. So something that we're consistently iterating or, or reiterating uh, internally. Amen. I'm glad you said it. We found we've modeled it. We, as you know, we work with companies around the world on this. A 5% increase in your stars is usually more than a 15% increase from an average performer. And so. That 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, it's huge. All right, let's get to the last one. Let's get to ownership, and then we'll wrap, wrap this up. And, and, and I've really enjoyed this. This has been really fun. Thank you. Me too. It's been awesome. Um, looking forward to some of those follow-ups you're going to send me too. And the yes, sir. Brand, exact, <laughs> um, you're going to hold me accountable to it, man. Absolutely <laughs> will. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of, of ownership, I, in, in all these lead to one another, right? The trust, the accountability, the coaching, the ownership. You can almost argue we should start with ownership first, but there's a reason why we put all those together. But ownership is we tell people, you need to be the CEO of your own part of huddle. And what I mean by that is, for example, if our CEO, David Graff, comes to me and asks, hey, Tiago, how is the Northern California high school market going? I'd say, hey, David, that's an amazing question. Let me get my account executive, my CSM, my inside sales specialist, and their manager on a call with you for them to talk through how uh, the business is looking like there and how our customers are responding uh, to our products. So it's you as the individual, you own a part of Huddle. So you need to believe that. Give you some caveats, though. You'll get some smart, you know what? I don't want yep. to say that, that word in your, in your podcast. I don't know how, how we uh, You're good. Now. You're good, so, man. Uh, they'll come and you know, they'll say, well, that means I don't have to fill out Salesforce, right? I don't have to right. do this. You're like, no, 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 no. To a certain extent, there's certain things we need to run our business. But again, you're running your part of Huddle, and you need to feel that kind of ownership that uh, kind of accountability, you need to make sure that you're demanding the coaching necessary for you to do well in being that CEO of a part of Huddle, then you need to make sure that, that you are trusting everyone around you, right, in how you're owning uh, that, that part of Huddle. That's awesome. I love it. Okay, Taco, trust, accountability, coaching, and ownership. And, and it's not just like lip service ownership. You really let them own every part of what's associated with what they do. Yep, it. that's the goal. You got in power closest to the customer and onward on, on up. And that's why you started with why you got to hire better than you because it takes a special kind of person to want that. Uh, some people are so used to just do, being told what to do and doing what they're told to do that getting someone that wants to run their part of the business and have full ownership, that's a very specific person you got to hire, I would think. Absolutely, but but also it it's it's most people's dream too, right? To yeah. to feel that that kind of ownership in, in in what they're doing, it makes them more creative, and it, again, it ties more closely to whatever drives them. People like to often own their part of anything, 
right? They like to make their decisions um, in the most important moments of a deal or, or, or whatever. Um, so that enables them to build the, the best version of themselves and, and, uh, and in turn produce the best results. Love it. This was awesome. We finished every episode the same way. Three questions, rapid fire. You ready to go? Oh, wow. Yeah. Definitely not prepared for this one. Let's go. All right. I like it unplugged. Here we go, man. Number one, biggest sales leadership challenge and how do you beat it? Big, biggest sales leadership challenge. So I I go scaling globally. I I go back to that and I, I think I already detailed that, that enough already, but that that has been single hardest piece. Okay. And you gave us a good part of your blueprint is built around scale. So I like that. Okay. (laughs) Excuse me. Number two, um, this is our, our listeners' favorite. What's your favorite interview question when you're interviewing members of your team? And what specifically are you looking for when you, when you use that? Yeah, so I usually like to ask about a failure. Um, so I think we're at our lowest moment when we fail, right? Yep. So um, it, it's everybody should fail, right? We should all seek to fail consistently. But it's really about what did you learn? <laughs> um, and then how did that make you better as an individual in whatever it is that you're doing? So I usually ask about that. Sometimes people answer that in a work in, from a work perspective or sometimes personal as well. Yeah. And I, I welcome both. And it's really, I just want to know how these people are uh, dealing with failure because we fail often right? We do. in one way or another. Okay. That takes me to the last one. We found that leaders are readers and uh, the great leaders never stop trying to learn. And I don't care if it's a page that you're turning. I don't care if it's an audible that you're hearing. I don't care if it's a podcast or a blog. So it's more bite-sized. Is there anything you'd recommend to our listeners that have helped you in your leadership journey that they might want to consider in theirs? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a common book tied to sales or anything like that, but there's a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. Um, and it talks about how it's okay to be vulnerable as a leader, and especially for those that really want their framework to be, I want to help others succeed. I want to be the foundation that people are consistently building better version of themselves within your organization. It makes you feel pretty good about that. Um, and, it, and ultimately, it's the good gals and good guys don't always finish last. So if you're building that framework, it's it's good. Be vulnerable. Bring your whole self to work as a leader as well. Show your vulnerabilities to your team. It'll help them uh, uh, produce better results. Give and take. I'm going to read it. That sounds like one that yeah, I enjoy. Yeah, Give and okay. take. Yeah. All right, man. That's it. I uh, I appreciate it. This time went fast. Um, any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, and, and how do they get more of you? How do they learn about Huddle? How do they connect with you? If they want to keep the conversation, how, how do they do that? How do, how do they get more Tiago? Yeah, I'd say just reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active there in terms of, of checking uh, my, my inbox, et cetera. I'm always willing to help um, somebody out. Uh, as long as I have the time, obviously, I have to manage the time sometimes. It gets tough in my role. I do also travel a lot, but I'm always willing to help as much as I can or position conversations with other leaders within our organization if they want to hear more about anything that we've discussed uh, today. Okay. And, man, he's found that tacos are the way to buy, get people to have the mission get going. Uh, I, I love his approach to helping people not just sell more but be the very best version of themselves. And as they become the very best version of themselves, part of that is they do the very best work that they can do. And that's one thing that we have in common, Tiago. I believe that when people uh, are the best versions of themselves, not only do they do their best work, but they also live their very best lives. And so for that, I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to wish you happy selling, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot, Rob. This has been really fun. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, I want to thank our friends at Outreach for their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast and for helping us showcase amazing leaders like Tiago and help us shine some light on how they not only get into high growth mode, but more important, they stay there and in this case, scale globally. Because that's exactly what Outreach is all about, creating new normals that help you scale by creating sales engagements your reps and your customers will thank you for across an enterprise. Outreach is built by salespeople for salespeople, and they know how to help you scale. Hey, anytime I can work tacos into a podcast, it's a conversation I'm interested in. You know, I've loved the company huddle. I haven't hidden that. I've loved them for a long time. I've seen them grow, and I've grown fast. Um, I've been excited to get Tiago on our show and to get a look at their leadership playbook that's fueled such amazing growth. And as I talked to Tiago, two things really stood out to me about this conversation. The first came in that um, list of five elements of how they do things at Huddle. All, all of them were cool. Numbers two through five, I think, were really important. It was the buy-in of the mission and the vision, ownership, clarity, and mindset. Every one of those is important. But the one that I really wanted to spend a second about is the very first one. And that was hiring people that are better than you. Not hiring good people. Hiring people that are better than you. And this creates an, uh, a, a culture of greatness that you just can't copy and you can't fake. It's this really genuine and authentic culture of greatness because there's an expectation that everyone there is an A player. And I want to sit on this for a minute because in my experience of building teams myself and sometimes doing a good job and other times not, and working with sales leaders across the world that have sometimes built a good team and sometimes not, here's what I found. A players will hire A players because that's all they'll put up with. B players, however, I've seen them more often hire C players because they fall into that category that Tiago was so quick to point out of being scared. If you're not an A player, you're kind of intimidated by hiring people that are better than you. A players are on the lookout for people that are better than them, and it could be in areas that they're strong, but more often it's in areas that maybe the leader's weak. And so take a chapter out of this playbook and hire people that are better than you, that have more potential than you, that want to grow maybe more than you've grown or faster than you've grown so you can help them grow and achieve. You know, I've found too many leaders want to be the smartest person in the room, and, and, and so many leaders are just out in search of followers. And this idea of hiring people that are better than you and having a culture where everyone knows that those on the team were hired because they had such great strengths, it's a culture that's impossible to fake and it's one that will take you places that you cannot go on your own. And I am 100% it's part of the reason why Huddle's had such great success. But as, as cool as that was, the one that I like even better is Taco. It's a killer blueprint for leadership success. T is for trust, A is for accountability, C is for coaching, O is for ownership. So trust. I'm not going to tell you what Tiago said about it because you can go listen to the podcast. Here's my one thought on trust. Trust is the currency of relationships. It's what we trade on. And trust is only built uh, through interactions. You know, I've been asked to give speeches on how to become trusted or be a trusted advisor. And what I've learned is everybody has a different definition of trust. And they all think it's built different ways. There are three words that I've found are very consistent across most people. It's honest, it's helpful, and it's reliable. So if you want to be trusted, be honest as a leader, be helpful for your reps, and be reliable. Be someone they can count on and not wonder. Number two, accountability. 
Um, I found that accountability is a really important attribute, and sometimes it's a word that people like, but they hate when it's applied to them. And the best way to build positive accountability is if you have empowerment. So when you're working with your reps, make sure that your conversations are about empowering them rather than investigating them and ha having them kind of justify what they've done and whether it was good or bad. I, I think the best way to build positive accountability is if you start having forward-looking conversations instead of rear-facing conversations. Use the law of 90%. Only 10% of your conversation should be about the past and 90% should be about the future. And that will lead to accountability that people can live with if they are empowered to build what their future is going to look like. Which takes me to C, coaching. I was happy that he went there. Uh, you guys all know I'm, I'm, I'm a coaching geek, a coaching nut. Um, I think it's the fastest way to gain competitive advantage in the marketplace. I love what Tiago said, though, that coaching has to be unique and it must be tailored. I have found that the tailored, unique coaching is where most coaches fail. Uh, the best way to make sure that you're doing this is if you set coaching goals in every one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you have to move past the conversation and get to the commitment. Uh, I've, I've shared a lot of content on that. And, and um, go look at my webinar with Chorus if you want more on that. That's a really good one. Last one is ownership. And I love what he said. I wrote this one down. I want to finish my thoughts with this one. Ownership is the only way to scale. Micromanagement will never scale. Ownership is the only way to scale. And that's why you must hire people that are better than you. So I love this. I love the two things I got from Tiago here. Uh, I love how intentional Tiago is about this. Listen, to be a great sales leader, you've got to have a leadership system, just as a salesperson needs a sales system. Don't ever forget what Scott Adams, the creator of the comic Dilbert, has said when he said, losers have goals, but winners have systems. Every sales leader in the world has a goal. Unfortunately, more missed goal than hit it. Only a few leaders have an actual system. The one that I've shared with you today is a great one to emulate. I thank Tiago for sharing it, with the, sharing it with each of us today. So, Tiago, thanks for joining our show, man. I appreciate you. Uh, you've done amazing things at Huddle. Tiago's a person you should follow, you should connect with. Uh, make that happen. I also want to thank our friends at Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. Supercharge your revenue building efforts and check them out today. If you haven't signed up for Outreach Unleashed, do it. I will be there. Some of the best in the business will be there. I promise you it's an event you want to be at. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. Please keep reaching out to me with the questions you want to have addressed. Please keep providing those killer reviews. And most of all, please keep listening to us as we bring you the most successful sales leaders in the world. So thanks for joining us. And as always, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exploit at exvoyant.com.